Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Words, Images, and Worlds, a comic-centric creative edition. Delighted to be talking on this episode with author David Avalone. Thank you, David, for jumping in. May I call you David? Is that okay? You may, absolutely. I'm, I, am, I am not formal like that. And thank you so much for inviting me, Jason. Yeah, my pleasure. I am loving the the bookshelf and your background. Mine is, of course, digital, but I'm seeing some <laughs> books that I love and some creations that I love back there with uh, Elvira. And, uh, yes, Elvira being held up by my uh, my Comic-Con passes for next week. Or oh, two, love it. Or two weeks ago, depending on when you possibly, if someone's listening on audio. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to make it out to the, the big show, the big SDCC, but I, I haven't yet. I, I tend to go it's, to Galaxy Con in Raleigh but, or um, oh, that's, Charlotte. Yeah. I've, I've heard good things about that con. I've never been. Uh, I'm getting a little cranky in my old age about attending as a civilian. <laughs> uh, so uh if i'm getting on a plane i i need to have been at least a little bit invited that's i don't, I don't even need to be a lot. i probably shouldn't even say public i i i don't even need to be a lot invited i don't need the mint <laughs> on the pillow i don't i don't even necessarily need uh the hotel room but you gotta give me a reason to show up i can't just uh be wandering around with the uh, you know with nothing much to do but I, and it's yeah. been a good couple of years for that honestly but san diego has never invited me as a guest and i i'm not holding my breath they're not they're not real big on dynamite comics down there but uh, uh but it's and it is i love it i go every year but it's it is also the Batan death march of comics it's uh right. it is an iron man i mean there are there are cons that are almost that long that are four days you know but it's it's its own beast and it is yeah. huge. And uh, I am huge for anyone that's going to be there next week. Who's hearing this uh, beforehand. I, you will find me at the Bayfront Hilton drinking in the bar uh, <laughs> most, most days. Um, mm -hmm. And I, if you look in the program, I have four might be no five. I have five panels and I'm doing two signings. One with the uh, Geekscape. At nice, their booth, nice. they very nicely invited me to come sign some books and uh, one with CGC. Nice. Because, because I'm fancy like that. They are going to slab me in carbonite and sell me to the highest bidder. Very Han Solo. Love yeah. it. <laughs> what, what's the drink of choice at the the local bar there by any chance? I, I myself am um, years and years and years ago, I decided to uncomplicate uh, my tastes and I mostly just drink straight vodka it's the drink they never get wrong yes yeah <laughs> you know, like they can't if, if what you're asking them to do is pour a shot of glass vodka in a glass with some ice there it's it's hard to fuck that up uh, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. also I I don't like waiting for it um mm -hmm. so like there was a period when like everyone and their mother was ordering mojitos and I'm like I don't have time to watch you pound <laughs> With a rock, god damn it! I want my drink. like. That's just I'm not here to watch chemistry, man. Just yeah, pour pour the liquid in a glass for me, and I'm uh, I'm pretty happy. I also have a whole philosophical thing about uh, drinking and about vodka, which is that um, everything else lies to you. Everything else says to you, "I am delicious. I am a beverage. I have a mm -hmm. flavor." Mm -hmm. Vodka is like, son, you no. just drank poison. <laughs> you, that's you, true you, you're trying to derange your senses you drank a little poison you took a little bite of death so that you can 
so that you can derange your senses. And that's what you're doing. And let's all be clear about that. That's why we're drinking here. We're we're not drinking because the whiskey has a smoky flavor. It's like, no, that's a bunch of bullshit. You're 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 ingesting a chemical that will disorder your brain. And that is the point. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate the honesty of that. Also, half of my uh, genetic background is uh, juice from Odessa, which are it's a big vodka drinking uh vodka drinking minority so uh you know that may may have some bearing there there's a clarity to vodka uh both as far as the intention and and the appearance so yeah i I think that works i like it yeah no absolutely there's nothing going on in there that you don't know about every once (laughs) in a while i will shake it up you know a a white russian is like when you're in the mood for a vodka milkshake right right and that's i i want some i want to i would like a chocolate milkshake with my poison fantastic but (laughs) um but yeah, arsenic and old lace. Love exactly, it. Love it. Ex- yeah. that is exactly right. Yeah. Well, we've covered the the potent potables category yeah. of our yeah. of our podcast. Very Jeffrey. important to talk about liquor on a comics podcast. I, I, absolutely, they they go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk the the comics category really quickly, sure. or or maybe maybe not really quickly, but. Um, what was it about comics uh, because uh, you're obviously on the fandom side as well as someone who attends uh oh yeah since the, i've been going to cons i think my first con it was ninth might have been 1979 and i would have been 14 nice uh, in my nice. little gold captain kirk uniform Love uh, it. and uh by the way i still have that shirt and it used to like hang loosely off me uh like someone had bought it for me and it was like a small adult size, but I was 14. So it was still <laughs> too big for me. And now it clings to my bulk in a very third season Shatner kind of a way that mm-hmm. is just, <laughs> just, just as comical, you know, it makes me feel tired and like, I want the show to be over. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I've been going for a really long time and uh, it sounded like you're about to ask, you know, what, what drew me to writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that and, was that was the know, direction the funny thing is my dad was a novelist and i think i i wasn't particularly trying to not be like him but that was his career and i was more interested in film and worked in film still work in film since 1986 but as a writer in film i never really got much traction mm-hmm. uh, comically again since becoming a comic book writer I now get the best film and television jobs I've ever gotten. Uh, nice. No one, when I had been making indie films for 30 years, no one wanted to hear anything I wanted to say, but <laughs> comic books suddenly, uh, you know, I was the, the way in which the people with the money who finance the arts, they don't want to be the first one to take a chance on you ever. Mm-hmm. So a publisher taking a chance on you, various licensors taking a chance on you um legitimizes you yeah and now now you're legitimate and you can work on anything um you know within reason so around 2014 i was really burning out on film i mean literally the last two films i worked on ended with legal hassles not for me Mm. but the people behind them and uh it just made me tired and around that time a colleague had asked to read an old screenplay of mine 
for a film project that got abandoned when the stock market crashed and the investors in that film vanished in a puff of smoke. Uh, and they read it and went, hey, this is really good. I can't help you in film, but I know some comic book editors and I could uh, introduce you to someone. And they introduced me to uh, Joe Rybant and we actually met at San Diego Comic-Con. And uh, I won't get off on my whole rant about networking because it's a thing I sometimes talk about in panels and teach on teach at cons because I think people radically misunderstand networking. <laughs> but I will boil it down simply to this. Everyone always complains. People only hire their friends. And I say, that's right. So when you're networking, you are not a job applicant. You are looking to make a new friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes and if sense. Make a new friend. You know, I'm partnered with Kevin Eastman on something and we've become, he's one of my closest friends in the world, dearest friends. And when we met, uh, we talked about World War II comics that we both loved. When I, You know, I don't yeah. know that the word Ninja Turtle escaped my lips for a solid year. Uh, the first year we knew each other because it just didn't mm -hmm. come up. Yeah. And, you know, he asked me to write something with him. Uh I honestly don't know if he had read a single comic that I had written at that point, but he had spent hours talking to me. Yeah. And yeah, we yeah. had become friends. And I think, you know, you, you talk to someone, you can see how their mind works and mm -hmm. whether or not they're funny, whether or not they can tell an anecdote, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. as True. silly as that sounds, that's a better, you know, I hate Mel Gibson, but he said a thing about auditioning once that I've never forgotten. And I agree with him, which is, you know, everybody that you're calling into audition, it's not like at the level he's working at, it's not like they can't act. It's not like you're going to get someone in and they're not a good actor. Mm -hmm. He's like, so I don't, I don't really. And again, reminder, he's garbage and I hate him. But he said, <laughs> uh, but he said, you know, I call someone in and we talk for a half hour about yeah. whatever. That's how the decision is made. Because mm -hmm. part of it is, can we get along? Can we collaborate? Do our my how does do our minds work in ways that will be complementary to one another? So all that said, uh, I had a really nice time talking to Joe at the Odyssey Bar at the Bayfront Hilton in San Diego, which I mm -hmm. honestly, 80% of my comics work has been handshake deals in that bar, which is funny. And um, he went back to New York and said, I got, I got something for you, which turned out to be legendary Vampirella, which again, I think he knew of my, uh, because of my dad being an older man who was born in 1924. I was raised with the pulps. Yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the few people under 60 that can write a Doc Savage or a The Shadow without mm -hmm. having to look at the Wikipedia page and figure out who they are. You know, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you know, I know those characters. I've been reading them since I was a kid. So I think that was appealing to him because uh, Dynamite had those licenses at the time. Mm -hmm. And this was a steampunk thing with sort of an old-timey vibe to it, a universe created by uh, Bill Willingham called Legendary. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, yeah, so I, I talked to Joe. Bill had uh, approval of whoever picked up his universe to work on it. So I had like an hour long conversation with Bill to get his approval. And he asked, what are you going to do with my characters? And I told him what I had in mind and we had some laughs. And uh, so that was, you know, and honestly, you know, people sometimes wonder why I've stuck with Dynamite. They have kept me in print since 2014. Like there have yeah. been there have been gaps. There will be, you know, I just wrote Elvira in Monsterland number five and 
Cuba will start drawing that sometime this morning. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and I don't know what the now I haven't pitched the next Elvira series yet. We got a bunch of things that we're working on and longer term projects. But like. They've had a gig for me at least once, you know, at least once a year, if not three times a year, if not five times a year, sometimes. Nice, uh, since, nice. since 2014 and it's hard to walk away from that and yeah. i also have an enormous amount of creative control over what i do um in the elvira comics cassandra peterson reads every script and gives me notes usually very kind notes god bless her and mm-hmm. usually a, a minimum of or i should say a maximum of about two or three joke suggestions Nice, nice. She always says the she always says the same thing. She always says, "Oh, and you don't. These are just suggestions. You don't have to take these." And I'm like, "They're <laughs> Elvira jokes written by Elvira. I think I'm going to use them." There's a there's an authenticity there. I like you know, that. Your your my, your your Elvira jokes aren't going to be worse than my Elvira. <laughs> <laughs> so like, let's stick with the let's let's stick. But yeah, she she's uh she's always been very complimentary about my work since the first issue. So that's been uh, a real relief. Because that can, you know, working with a living person who controls their own image mm-hmm. can be challenging. She is tough on our cover artists, I'm told. Yeah. But yeah. it's her, you know, I, if I if it was my face going on the comics, yeah, I would definitely be tough on the cover artists and say, no, that's not me. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, that uh, makes sense. So yeah. So short, long story short, that's that's how I stumbled backwards into comics. It was just a, I was at a complete career dead end i was mostly uh, editing feature films and uh i was just you know it's funny if anyone i used to work with hears this all of the wrong people will think i'm talking about them <laughs> that's how it works when that's i'm not yeah. but i got really tired of turning other people's mediocrity into something that was merely good yeah. i rarely got great footage to turn into something excellent and I often got terrible footage to turn into something mediocre. Like, you know, I had a friend at the time, uh, about a decade ago, probably, who was editing Mad Men. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, it must be such a challenge working with all of that beautifully written and performed and exquisitely directed uh, raw footage. How hard for you that <laughs> be? I yeah. just feel like the best editing Oscar, you know, best editing Emmy should go to the person who had this the shittiest material to deal with. Because right, they work right. a lot harder than the guy editing The Sopranos or the person editing, you know, The Bear. Mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. to say those, not to say it's not demanding, but when you walk in and the footage is great. Yeah. I what's can't what's say, the gym that you choose I, from the case? I have, yeah, I haven't <laughs> had that experience as much as I wanted to. Uh, where it was and like when i what i meant was like the people who i made perfectly fine lovely good solid great films with will listen to this and say oh he's talking about me and the absolute <laughs> hacks will hear this and go well he's definitely not talking about me i'm a fucking genius <laughs> so uh you know That's there's the no, irony i try i try i almost i often avoid talking about it in public for that reason because you just know the nice people will be oh i suck and the terrible people will be like well he can't mean me. I'm a genius. Nah, I'm anyway. excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Mad Men because we were when we were talking about the chemistry experiment of uh, vodka and, and other things. I was thinking about the 
old-fashioned scene where Don Draper is making an old-fashioned. So just an interesting little connection there I thought I would throw out in this oh yeah this thread. Um, not not to take us back to that Jeopardy no, category, but just kind of fun. a good category. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you were talking about film, so I love that Elvira is actually part of the process. As a reader, sure. I love that. Uh, yeah. I don't know how the comics uh, cover artist feels about that, <laughs> um, but but that is a very cool thing to me that it would still be something that is sort of passed by her to approve oh, yeah. and to be part of because that's just it's part of the magic of it. And I, I can't even imagine trying to tell some of the mashups, which is what I've really enjoyed about Dynamite and your work. Uh, okay. I think I mentioned Elvira and Vincent Price. Can you imagine trying to get that made as a film? Or oh yeah, um, well, and Shadow I and Twilight Zone. The the nicest uh, I got to say one of the nicest compliments I have ever been paid by someone remaining completely silent. Victoria Price also read the scripts for those and mm-hmm. had approval, and I did not receive a single. My dad would never say that. My dad would never do that. Like, oh, wow. Silence. And I was, I have never been more flattered by silence in my life. The fact that Victoria Price read those five scripts and there was not a comma out of place for her. I mean, it's her dad. I have a hard time imagining someone writing, you know, a hundred pages of comics about my father and me not going, hey, mm." Mm -hmm. but Vincent had, was such a beautiful man and he had such an amazing, I mean, the interesting thing is I wasn't writing about Vincent Price as Prospera. Yeah, I wasn't writing about Vincent Price as a character in one of his movies. I was mm-hmm. writing about the man, the actor, the movie star and Bon Vivant and cook and art collector and all of that. Yeah. And the fact that he was such an indelible presence mm-hmm. as a personality, he was so just like, and I say this about Elvira, people I, are very nice and compliment me for getting the voice right. But I always say Cassandra established such. She established a character who she walks into any room, you know what she's going to say. You know what the the joke is. You just know. And, you know, the one out of a thousand times I don't know, I've got her there. Yeah. Yeah. There was one time in issue three. I'll never forget this. There was a panel and I was burned out. I was probably writing it at three in the morning. And I just didn't have a good quip. I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't leave it blank, but I put something in that was mediocre. And I'm not even remotely humble about my own work. I don't I don't think anything I do is mediocre. Uh, but I, I left in a line that I was like, man, eh, it's that's it, that's not a great panel. Nothing. There's no entertainment value in that panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when David Costa draws it, it will be lovely to look at. But there's nothing interesting about the dialogue. And I thought to myself, I bet you anything she catches this. And she absolutely, she had two notes on that issue. (laughs) And she's like, here, I've got a couple of alts for, you know, page 15, panel four, whatever it was. Like she, nope, that is not on brand. (laughs) The thing is, is, it wasn't, neither thing was life-changing or, you know, what she came up with wasn't, it was a very small moment. It was mm-hmm. a microscopic moment. It just the nature of comic books. It needed a quip, yeah, to go yeah. with it. It was it was Elvira walking away from Dracula from Vlad the Impaler, and I just didn't have anything for it. And she added a RuPaul reference, and I had forgotten she was a she was a uh, a, a judge on RuPaul's show. 
So she said something about all like RuPaul says, I'm just going to sashay away. <laughs> that's not like going to change anyone's life, but it was, I had nothing. I came up empty. I didn't have anything for it. And instead of working on it for another five hours on some dumbass line, I went, you know what? <laughs> I'm probably covered here. She'll catch this. Yeah. Uh, and also I should say uh, process wise, I don't know how I'd like to think this is common. Sometimes I hear it's less common than I want it to be, but I always do a dialogue pass after mm-hmm. the ink, uh, after the final, final ink. I always take, and I know comic art writers like uh, John Lehman letters his own books largely so that literally he even, he wants to step beyond me. He wants to keep rewriting it while he's lettered, while it's being lettered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to let Taylor Esposito, it's like almost always Taylor Esposito, take over for me at that point and do the lettering <laughs> but uh but yeah i always rewrite and sometimes they're pretty big rewrites they can't be that big with elvira mm-hmm. because she has she's already approved everything but like when i'm not writing something for a license holder uh i can actually i will sometimes sketch in dialogue because what you got to get right is the images for the artist to draw mm-hmm. uh, the the jokes and the quips and the observate you know the dialogue can always use one more finesse Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know a lot of times an artist will draw a thing that i didn't exactly ask for or is funnier than what i asked for or honestly in bad cases is very different from what i asked for but i didn't quite have the energy or the heart to tell them like uh, sometimes i'll see a thing and i'm like that's not what i meant at all but i'm gonna i'm gonna make that i'm gonna come up with a way that that works Nice, nice. And, uh, and then you, you know, and then you add a line of dialogue that makes it clear. I mean, I think so much bad comic writing, particularly what we associate with bad comic writing from the 70s and the 80s, mm-hmm. is lack of faith in the artist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and lack of faith in the reader. Yeah. I always use this example, but like the worst, you know, God bless Chris Claremont, but some of that editorial dictate that everything has to be clear. Like you'll see an opening page of the Quinjet landing on Muir Island and like Cyclops and 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 Xavier are coming out of the plane and Cyclops is like, I don't understand, Professor Xavier, who controls minds. Why are we here on Muir Island <laughs> visiting? Well, Cyclops, who can shoot eye beams and is in love with Jean Grey and has a red. Yeah, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> Stop telling me everyone's name and their powers and their, you know, uh. I always say this. I I love the inside front cover is the greatest invention in comics in the last 30 years. The, yeah. the, the fact that we can now just here's your here's your last time on. We don't have to do that on page one of we don't have to gunk up page one of my comic with a bunch of, you know, stuff that the people who read the last issue are going to find vaguely insulting and definitely boring. All of the continuity. All yeah. Of the continuity. Yeah. Yeah. And I made in the first two issues of Elvira, I made jokes about her. The very first two, I had her doing that, doing the recaps. And then she 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 gives me a shout out and says, I'm not doing these these anymore, Avalone. These are going these belong on the front inside cover. What are you doing? (laughs) Um, Love it. Love it. You know, my naked attempt to get my name out there because I'm no fool. That, uh, I, I can't remember the age I was when I realized like, oh, the, these names that are listed here at the beginning of the comic, these are the people that made this because there is a time reading comics where I just kind of, you know, soaked up the magic of it. 
but then it's like, oh, there are five people that do this and to kind of oh, yeah. check out. And, you know, and I can absolutely say that uh, when I growing up wanting to make movies, I was very attentive to how they were made and who made them. Like when I was if you'd asked me when I was seven years old who Frank Capra was, I would have been able to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never I never looked at comic books that way. I never I like I knew that the writers and the artists that I liked uh, in some cases, you know, by the 80s, I knew the letterers that I liked, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will still give John Workman a, a shout out and script and say I need a John John Workman thum here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but I never looked at how they were made, particularly. Yeah. Uh, I read them as a completely as a reader. And by the way, I should say, like viewing movies that way has never ruined them for me. It's it's part of the enjoyment of them. Mm-hmm. But like when I got the first offer to like, do you want to write a comic book script? I literally went to my shelf and pulled down Watchmen and went, huh, nine panels on every page. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, pulled down New Frontier, three panels on every page, three cinemascope panels on every page. And then every once in a while you break them up fascinating you know this is what frank miller is doing this is what howie chaykin is doing howie mm-hmm. you kill me for calling him howie howard <laughs> chaykin is doing like this is what and then I, and, you know and i talked to artists and they said you know keep it at five panels a page if you can um yeah, and i yeah. generally do i i like clockwork my pages are pretty much five panels because i think that's appropriate for what i'm doing um and every once in a while i'll shake it up but uh you know it's i was I have to say that I started writing comics at 49 and I absolutely wow. recommend taking on a completely new craft uh-huh. at, at 49 or whenever, because it was so revitalizing. And I, you know, I had read the Scott McCloud before I read it all again. Cause yeah. I, yeah. you know, last time I wasn't reading it to learn, you know, I wasn't reading it as a trade school student. I was reading it as an admirer. And this, time I was like, Oh, I should pay more attention to this. Um, so, you know, I think that's uh, not to get off on a rant, but that's it's a it's a it's a serious art form enjoyed by the entire world. Only in America do we sort of look down our noses at it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, I think pe- a lot of people who come into it the way I did don't take it seriously enough. The number of phone calls I've gotten, particularly during times like this strike. Of like, hey man, what about comics? You know, I'm not writing any TV this year. Um, and you go, I always say the same thing, which is if what you want is a pamphlet to leave behind after a pitch, don't do it, man. Don't. If you love comics and you think your screenplay or your TV idea would make a great comic, fucking go for it. You know, fantastic. Yeah. And I'll yeah. teach you everything I can about the medium. But if it's just to accomplish the pamphlet thing, you're going to spend a lot of time and money and you're going to hate yourself. <laughs> and so, like, don't don't do it. Don't do it. But it's an amazing art form. I like to argue that it's the oldest one. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah. It occurred to me, it occurred to me about two, three years ago. I was like, cave painting. Here is Og with spear. Here is the mammoth. Here is Og chasing the mammoth with the spear. Here's mm-hmm. Og standing on top of the mammoth with his spear in the mammoth. Here's us eating the mammoth sequential art sequential art is like maybe people sang before that but i there's no there's no physical evidence to you know yeah. there might have been singing there might have been storytelling but 
uh Og on the cave wall with the spear, man. That is the shit. That is the that is the first the first, first superhero. The first, yeah, the first well, Gilgamesh. The first, but the yeah. first human, you know, art that we have preserved is generally this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened in these five panels that I painted on this cave wall. And that's a the human desire to do that and the the plasticity of it mm-hmm. and all of the things you can do with it. Um it's you know it's uh, it's been so revitalizing for me and it is really uh it is it has been such a surprise left turn uh late in my life uh that i'm endlessly grateful for i love that because uh i read recently someone someone on one of the the social media outlets said you know once you get to this age you know there's there's still that myth out there which i guess is true in baseball maybe like maybe you're throwing art okay i get that yeah but but i love the idea of continuing to learn and take up new storytelling new craft uh and i also love what you said there about it's a complex medium that deserves some attention and i have an interview later today where i'm being interviewed and someone's asking me about comics and uh what role they play and are they just there to sort of like support readers and like, no, no, they're, they're incredibly complex books that anybody can dig into. And, and they, yeah. Watch. And they can be about anything and they can be for anyone. And you can tell literally any story mm-hmm. uh, in them and they're not limited to bright colors. And, and it's, you know, and again, the technology has gotten so much better yeah. uh, than it used to be. I think a lot of the flashy comics on uh, costumes on superheroes, once again, was the, like, well, the artist can't really draw this guy on model uh, for 20 pages. But if he's got the same outfit on every time we see him, it <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if his nose gets a little bigger, smaller, his chin goes back and forth. You know, you know what I mean? Like it makes it um, it makes it simpler to read and easier to easier to do uh, as a job. And I just, you know, the quality has gone through the roof. It's comic books. Uh, you know, there's a lot of amazing stuff from the golden age and from the silver age and from my childhood but you can't argue that like television was better in the 70s than it is now you can't no. argue that comic books were better 10 years anyone who argues that comics book work books were better in the 90s has a serious arrested development problem <laughs> um at least in my personal experience i'm the maybe i'm just not that into pouches i don't i don't know but uh but it's uh you know people are taking these mediums more seriously and doing more groundbreaking work in them and uh you know i i'm not claiming my elvira comics are the most groundbreaking thing out there but i'm doing some other stuff and they're you know they're they're entertainments i the the best review i could ever get um elvira in Harland number three uh reviewer said it read like a really good mad magazine parody and i was like that's that's it man that's all mad that's that is the target i am literally specifically aiming at there's even a joke about mad magazine in uh in monster land 2 she calls it which is the shining issue she calls she calls the character played by scatman uh crothers hollerin as in yelling you know Uh hollerin instead Uh of hollerin and she calls him hollering and he says, wasn't that what they called me at the Mad Magazine satire? And she's like, who can remember? <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Because I, I literally I wrote it and I went, oh, 
did Angelo Torres call him that in, 19, <laughs> in 1979 I, or 1980? I don't, I don't remember. I could be so, borrowing this joke from my subscription to Mad Magazine from my childhood. So some uh, of that inner monologue comes onto the page. I love oh, that. absolutely. Well, that's the greatest <laughs> thing about Elvira is that I get to do that, is I get to uh, do all of the fourth wall breaking things. Uh, I love yeah. in... Uh, not to praise my own work, but in Elvira meets Vincent Price when she says, when he says, do you want to come on this adventure with me? And she says, oh my God, that'll be great. And he's like, oh, thank God. The refusal of the call is, <laughs> it's is, been just, done. <laughs> is just the most boring part of that whole thing. Like, <laughs> And she says, like, I blame George Lucas. He made everybody read Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Vincent being Vincent says they should be reading Shakespeare instead. Um, but but yeah but i but that comes from the very honest place of to me refusal of the call is one of those things people do it without knowing how to do it well Mm -hmm. there are ways to get around like i totally believe that luke skywalker doesn't just want to get up and leave the only world he's ever known and go to the center of the galaxy and fight the empire like that's a that's a big ask yeah, uh, that's a good refusal to call. I'm not the biggest fan of those movies, but Neo being unwilling to walk out on the ledge. Yeah, because come on, man, who's going to do that? Yeah, I'm not. Some voice tells me to do a thing and I'm going to do it. That's bullshit. Yeah, but a yeah. lot of times it's just like Rambo's got to say no for another 10 minutes before he mm-hmm. uh, goes and does the thing. And I'm like, I don't care, man. Just go do the thing. Or the... that's, what about, that's what I love about James Bond. There's no <laughs> refusal to call. You hand him a file folder, he will do the thing. (laughs) And he will go rogue every time to get the thing done. If you tell him not to do the thing, he's like, no, you hired me. I'm going to do the thing. But yeah, you hand him a file (laughs) folder with some European character actor's face on it. That dude is toast. You know, that is that is the job. There is no. Well, I don't know. This guy seems nice. You know. Well, what I what I really critique about that, too, is so often the reversal of the refusal, whatever that second stage is called. It's usually just accomplished in like one or two scenes where a character looks at a picture of like someone they love and they're like, you know what? Arbitrarily, it's time to say yes. We knew it was going to happen anyway. (laughs) It it just always feels like connecting of dots. And, you know, when you're when you're filling out the formula, I told this story a couple of times recently. But, you know, there's the whole thing about to make a character likable, the bad studio note is, you know, have him pet a dog or something. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's like the that's the joke version. And yeah. you're supposed to think of something better than that. At the beginning of Outbreak, about five minutes in, I saw it at a screening, which was probably like 50% screenwriters in the audience. And in five minutes in, there's an opening scene. And then we see Dustin Hoffman at home and he goes out his front door and a dog comes bounding up to him and he pets the dog and half of the room fell out of their chairs laughing (laughs) (laughs) because it was just like it was such a this is a prickly difficult man uh show him petting a dog or some fucking thing because you know we gotta gotta, (laughs) you know it's not always easy to like dustin hoffman let's let's uh let's 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 have him cuddle a have him cuddle a uh benji for five minutes right right it was so nakedly out of place in this you know second rate andromeda strain thriller to have a guy just like here he is at home petting his dog isn't he great okay now back to the virus is going to kill the world it's just so so like you just you never want to be the guy right in the dog petting scene i mean to boil it down 
uh, I think the job of a writer and, and Goldman talks about this a lot in his books and how you can even overdo reversals, but the job of a writer is you always hit a scene and you go, okay, so how has everyone else gotten out of this scene? <laughs> I have to not do that. Yeah, I have yeah. to come up with the version of this that's never been done before. Tackle you know? the new. Yeah, James Bond saying, coming up with a reason for Goldfinger not to kill him instead mm -hmm. of having some wild escape plan. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got the hero tied up. How are you going to get him out of it? That's the tricky part. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. Lots of uh, worlds and ideas about writing. And um, we, we started with a, a great conversation about potent potables. So <laughs> uh, um, the last category on our board is upcoming work, upcoming projects, things that are in development. You mentioned that you have a, a podcast if you'd like to talk I do, about I have that. A couple of them, actually. The uh, Yeah, the first thing is that currently in stores is Elvira in Monsterland. Mm -hmm. Um Second first two issues are out as of this recording. The third one will drop sometime in July. I don't actually know when. Uh, and then uh, that goes up to issue five. Uh, first issue was called It's a Vlad, 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 Vlad World, which mm -hmm. was not my title. Richard Fairgray came up with it, which is delightful. Premise of this series is that, um, like the previous series, we, 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 we developed that... Um, all uh, movies create their own little pocket universes. And Elvira was uh, in the last series, she was sort of bouncing from movie to movie. Mm -hmm. And in this series, the, our, our, our series supervillain Vlad, the impaler has the MacGuffin that makes you able to jump between universes. And he is kidnapping an army of monsters to conquer the world. And uh second issue was our Frankenstein issue. Mm -hmm. uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. The third issue is called Howl. You can probably guess uh, what that one's about. Mm -hmm. uh, the fourth issue, which I just saw the art, the the final art for today, is called uh, "You Don't Look Kaiju-ish." Oh, um, nice, nice. Thank you. <laughs> which is our Gojira uh, issue, uh, and then the fifth one is the wrap-up Mad Monster Parody, which is uh, satire of all sorts of things. Um, We'll see if Cassandra likes it. I don't think I've had notes on it yet, but it's very, we make fun of some superhero movies in there. Um, with the setup, I kind of had to go end game uh, in the last <laughs> issue. It, mm -hmm. you know, I had giant armies of monsters. You got to do, you got to do something with that. <laughs> um, so there's an Elvira original graphic novel that we're 74 pages into um, writing and drawing. Um it was so much fun a week ago when I could say that we were 69 pages into it because everyone can just go nice. But uh, we're 74 pages now. <laughs> it's probably going to top out at 100 or 100, 120. I'm still kind of laying the track in front of the train as we go along. Um, and uh, other comic stuff. I, there are really exciting things. It's been a very frustrating year for me. I've had a lot of great stuff going on all in the the company hasn't decided to put out a press release announcing yeah. it yet. Stop. The, the land of NDA. Yeah. So uh, I've got a creator owned comic. That's going to be coming from a really great publisher. I got another creator owned comic that 
is going to be coming from a different really great publisher if either of those <laughs> deals one of those deals is signed the other one is still uh pending and there's some there's some media stuff going on with one of my uh creator owned things which i'm really excited about but again can't I'm hoping by San Diego, I will actually, it would be goofy to let San Diego go by mm-hmm. without, without announcing these, these two projects in particular. Um, during 2020, during the pandemic, I started uh, two podcasts, one on my own called Pulp Today. Nice, um, nice. Pulp Today has been on hiatus for a little bit, but there are 74 episodes of me reading a couple of pages from a book that I love and explaining why I love it and telling a little bit about the history. I have uh, had great guests on it. Comics writer David Walker was one of my first guests. Actor James Urbaniak, actress Megana Tova, uh, actress Susie Kane. Um, Susie Kane, that was a fun one because I wanted to do, it was the 42nd episode and I wanted to do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for the 42nd. And I always let the host, the, the guest choose their own book. Mm-hmm. But for Hitchhiker's Guide, I was like, I need an English person <laughs> to do the reading i'm not gonna yes. do my i'm yeah. not gonna inflict my accident and Susie is so great and she has such a phenomenal voice for the encyclopedia for the uh for the for the hitchhiker's guide so we had a lot of fun and then that devolved into an hour-long chat about the history of british comedy but that's Love what that, that show was like the other show was uh created by rylan grant who very nicely offered me to co-host i'm actually going to be recording another episode of that in about 45 minutes uh called the writer's block it has won multiple awards, including awards I've heard of, like nice, the, nice. the Communicator Award uh, for arts po- podcasts. And uh, we talk generally about writing, but about writing comic books, about writing. I mean, it's definitely comic book mostly, but like the last two months, we've had a lot of WGM members on to talk about the strike and why it's important and how the... Mm-hmm. The, the decisions being made about the Writers Guild are rippling across all of the professional arts right now uh, and why we should all be invested in the WGA's fight, uh, yeah. member, member of the Guild or no. So uh, Writers Block, a new episode drops generally every Wednesday on Comic Book Day, uh, for new Comic Book Day. Uh, and those are, we're up to like 93, 94 of those. There are a lot nice. of those. So, nice, nice. um, so that's another, that's another thing you can seek out and, um, and, and again, that those, both of those shows exist on YouTube, but also on most of the podcast, uh, platforms. Fantastic. And I think that's it. And again, if, you know, if you're going to San Diego, uh, I am easily found for all fans, stalkers, assassins, and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, whoever else is, is looking for me. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I got. I've also, I should say, last thing I've got, I've been doing some prose writing lately, and uh, there's an anthology coming out called the Dead Detective Society. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and for that, um, I resurrected a character. They came to me and said, "We're doing this anthology about dead detectives," and I think you know the the editor has a zombie detective character that he writes. There are a couple of other characters like that. I don't have any character just lying around like that. And at first I thought of like a, a zombie Sherlock Holmes thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. instead, there was a 19th century private detective named Nick Carter, who is actually the most published American action hero because uh, yeah. he had a weekly magazine in the 19th century and into the 20th. Pulp magazines, 
there's one dude who wrote over a thousand Nick Carter novels. So wow. it's an insane. In 1964, my father was asked to reboot the character as a James Bondian super spy uh, nice. who was called the Killmaster. It was the 60s. And yes, there are yes. 200. He wrote the first three, but there are 250 of those. Um, and it occurred to me that how can the 19th century guy be 35 years old in 1964? Mm -hmm. So I connected that dot with enormous help. I have to say uh, there's a great pulp historian named Jess Nevins. If you've heard of him, it's probably because he's the one who painstakingly annotated uh, Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, wow. Jess is okay. the guy who told you on page five in panel three, that's this little known Victorian children's book character. You know, he's great nice. at that. So I reached nice. out to Jess and just gave me the skinny on uh, Nick on 19th century Nick Carter. He was the only person I could think of who had definitely read the books. And I found out he used to maintain a Nick Carter website. Uh, and Nick Carter also had the first supervillain in literature about three, four years before doc, before Professor Moriarty was Dr. Jack Quartz. And that is a huh. hell of a supervillain name. Yes. And Jess told me that Dr. Jack Quartz had, would frequently come back from the dead without explanation and had a suspended animation machine. So I went, that accomplishes everything I need. <laughs> Love it. Love it. My, the guy that I'm trying to bring back from the dead a hundred years later had a supervillain with suspended animation and regeneration. Okay, good. So anyway, Perfect. that's called Nick Carter Recalled to Life. And it's in the Dead Detectives Anthology, which is probably coming out this fall. And uh, it's just a, a longest short story, but I'm probably going to keep having fun with uh, Secret Agent Nick Carter because that allows me to get out a lot of my mid-century modern spy movie yayas uh, working on something. And it's so, somewhat yeah. of a family practice at this point. And it, yeah, no, there's there's a there's a the, the legacy act aspect of it is very appealing. And I have yeah. never written more in my father's voice. Like it didn't I didn't start out going like I'm gonna write this exactly like he would have written it, but like mm -hmm. five paragraphs in, I was like, there's kind of only one way for me to write this stuff. Nice. Uh which he had a very punchy, witty, fast-paced uh prose style. So it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun to write in. A lot of fun to write in. Wonderful. And lots of fun things to explore. Lots of things coming up. And thank some you. spaces to hear uh, many, many podcast episodes. And thank you for coming on this one as well and talking. Oh, my pleasure, me. Jason. This was great. Great, great. Glad to have you back anytime. And uh, safe travels to SDCC. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.